Good morning. It's, it's a joy to be with you this morning. Uh, my name is David Hansacker. I'm going into my third year of seminary here on the Bible School campus, for those of you who haven't met me, and uh, I'm Pastor Fran's son-in-law, so that's how I got roped into this. <laughs> no, I, it's, it's a joy to be here. Um, who here grew up with a sibling or a younger cousin that they tried to avoid? There were, there were times when they tried to run and hide from them. I only see a couple of hands here. There's, there's got to be a few more. Well, when I was a kid, I grew up and my cousins were, were right staggered in between me and my siblings. And we would often go over to their house. And frequently our game became uh, the older kids trying to hide from the younger kids because they're annoying and whatever. And, and literally we would end up spending most of our time trying to hide from the younger kids. One day, we came across the great idea that we were going to go hide in the doghouse. And this, this was a good plan. They would never think to look for us there. And then, and then they found us. And, and then shortly thereafter, we figured out that if we put boards up against the door, we could brace them with our feet and we could keep them out of the doghouse. So we kind of tricked them into going off elsewhere. And then, and then we did it. We, we put the boards up and we braced our feet. There was four of us in this little doghouse. And my little brother and my little cousin were just mad that they couldn't get in there and they couldn't be with us. They weren't included. We had excluded them from the group. Mission accomplished. Now, the funny part of the story was this happened at about 2 o'clock in the afternoon in August. And it was probably at least 95 degrees inside that doghouse. And it stank of dog and cat. And we were dripping with sweat. But we were by ourselves. And they were out there. Mission accomplished. Now, use this story to demonstrate the power of being included. And this inclusion is the central message of our text today. Our text for today is Isaiah chapter 56, verses 1 through 8. Please stand as you're able for the reading of God's word. Thus says the Lord, preserve justice and do righteousness, for my salvation is about to come and my righteousness to be revealed. How blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who takes hold of it, who keeps from profaning the Sabbath and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant to them. I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name, which will not be cut off. Also, the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone who keeps from profaning the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant Even those I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. The Lord God who declares, who gathers the dispersed of Israel declares. Yet others I will gather to them, to those already gathered. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, Lord, these are your words and we ask that... Um, You would speak through me today and that you would um, reveal to us what you have uh, revealed to the prophet Isaiah. 
In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. The sermon title for today is The Gospel Without Exception. And before we get started, I think it's helpful to get a little overview of the book of Isaiah, because this is not a book that it's easy to drop into the middle of and, and pick up the storyline of, of what, what's happening. And so typically, when we look at the book of Isaiah, it's easy to divide it up into three parts. And we do this not because different people wrote these things or different times. These were all written by the prophet Isaiah under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But they were written, and the central theme of each has a, has a different focus. And so the, the first 39 chapters is where God is, is making his case against the nation of Israel that they have forsaken justice and righteousness. And he promises a virgin to be with a child, to be with Emmanuel. This is where we get the Emmanuel promise that you hear at Christmas time, um, and that Emmanuel will save them. Chapters 40 through 55 are typically the next section, and Isaiah here develops this idea of a servant who would be both conquering king and suffering servant. Isaiah 53 is probably the most overtly Christological passage in the entire Old Testament. For instance, verse 10 says, But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. And then we come to the third section, which is chapters 56 through 66, typically. And if you're paying attention, you realize that this is this is our text for today, is the beginning of this section. And this is why this is helpful. Because this section marks a change in focus for Isaiah. Because the focus moves somewhat off of the servant king that is Jesus and onto the offspring of the servant. So what does it look like to be a follower of Christ? And what does it mean? These are the questions that Isaiah is going to start dealing with in this section and what he lays out. And so he lays out qualities that the seeds of the offspring of the servant possess without exception. They are to preserve justice and righteousness, to keep his hands from doing evil, and keep from profaning the Sabbath. The Sabbath is actually mentioned three times in our text today, in verses 2, 4, and in 6. Each time being listed as a quality or attribute possessed by those who have received the righteousness of God. Now, why does Isaiah use Sabbath observance as a characteristic? Um, when there are plenty of other characteristics that we would tend to, to put higher on that list. We would put maybe the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, all these things. Maybe knowledge of God's Word as a more defining characteristic of what it means to be the offspring of the servant. But instead, Isaiah chooses Sabbath observance and holding on to God's covenant as the defining characteristics of the offspring of the servant. And on the surface, Sabbath observance is, is very different than holding on to God's covenant. They seem to have little in common. One is about doing works. The Sabbath for the Israelites was not just a one-day thing. It wasn't a one-day-a-week thing for them. 
although that was part of it. One day in seven that they took off to uh, worship God. But there was also one year in seven which they were not to plant crops and they were to live off the land, live off what God provided. And then there was the year of Jubilee that's also lumped into this whole system of the Sabbath for them in which all the debts that they had would be forgiven and all the debts that they had with other people were also forgiven. All the debts they were owed. Uh, All the slaves would be set free and any land that had been purchased by another family would return to the original family. These were supposed to be relatively strict rules. In fact, the Old Testament even records for us somebody getting stoned to death for not following them. And in contrast to this, we have holding on to God's covenant, which seems to us to be more an act of faith. And so why does Isaiah use both of these things as the defining characteristic of what it is to be an offspring of the servant? But on closer observance, we see that these two things are simply two sides of the same coin. In a world that's telling the Israelites that you need money, success, or popularity to be fulfilled, uh, the Sabbath system was very countercultural. They were to take one day every seven to steady God's word and to serve others, not to work for their own gain. Take one year every seven and eat up all that surplus food and trust that the Lord would supply what they needed. And then take every 50th year and give back all that they had bought, if they had bought land, and to let all their slaves go free. God created a system meant to encourage his people to trust in him and to demonstrate that trust by allowing opportunities to produce more, to work more, to accumulate more, to pass them by. This is why Isaiah uses the characteristic of Sabbath observance, because it's an excellent indicator of where a person has placed their trust. I love to watch YouTube videos from time to time. Um, one, one of my favorites, typically, if you just type in heavy equipment fails, you'll see people with bulldozers and excavators and backhoes that do that have things break on them quite spectacularly, usually. Um, and for instance, one time I came across this video and this, this man had loaded up a bulldozer. It was a large bulldozer, over a 100,000 pound machine on the semi, and he was going to try to make it up this hill. And you see him and he obviously puts it in his low gear and he, he's going and he's making it up the hill and he and gets closer to the top. It gets a little steeper as he gets closer to the top and, and things are still going OK. The engine's still running good. But um, then then you can see the frames start to torque pretty bad. The next thing you know, the, the front end's coming off the ground and still he's, he's making progress up the hill. But now he can't steer. And gradually you see him and he ends up going off the road or almost going off the road because he, he, he has no ability to steer anymore. And so what does he do? He, he did what he planned to do and he slammed on the brakes, right? I'll, I'll, I'll get reset. Well, he probably had eight to ten axles underneath that thing, but those brake pads weren't enough friction. The brakes weren't strong enough to hold a 100,000 pound machine plus probably another 40,000 pound truck. <laughs> And so away he went back down the hill. I can only imagine the terror of being in a runaway backing up semi with a bulldozer on the back. 
But see, the man had placed his trust in something that he thought would hold. But it didn't do what he thought it could, what he thought it could. Trust in worldly things over God. When we trust in worldly things to provide over what over God, then that trust is going to be like that driver in his brakes. It looks good. It seems reasonable by the world standards, but it will fail and it will fail at the worst possible time. The Bible makes clear that the teaching of the old Sabbath, uh, the teaching of the Sabbath in the Old Testament is part of the ceremonial law and that Christians are not necessarily bound by all of the regulations required. For instance, you're not required to give back your land that you've purchased to whoever every 50 years. But that doesn't mean that we do away with the concept entirely. The third commandment says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And the small catechism gives us a better idea of what this means for our lives today. It says we should fear and love God so that we do not despise his word in the preaching of the same, but deem it holy and gladly hear and learn it. Isaiah uses Sabbath observance to point the people of Israel to where they need to place their trust. And it should do the same for us. Maybe if we stated it a different way, our attitude towards the Sabbath does an excellent job of exposing our idols. Our habit should be to set one day a week aside to gather together and to worship and hear God's word preached. Is that your habit or is that your exception? Do you, can you place your trust in God's provision enough to trust him with your finances, with your to-do list, with your athletics? The answer is unequivocally yes. But do your habits on Sunday reflect that that is where your trust is? Or do they reveal your hidden idols? Isaiah makes it clear that faith in God is a quality that all the offspring of the servant must have. This is because righteousness is required of all who would come to God. Isaiah begins our text for today and this section of the book of Isaiah with a command from the Lord. He says, preserve justice and do righteousness. Now this justice and righteousness theme is a running theme throughout the entire book of Isaiah. In fact, it appears the idea of righteousness or the word righteousness appears 81 times. Only the Psalms and the Proverbs contain that word more. And in the, if we look once again at that three-part model of Isaiah, we can see that in the first section, in the first section of the book, God laments that justice and righteousness are lacking in Israel. In his, in his chosen people, justice and righteousness are lacking. For instance, Isaiah 5-7 says, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his delightful plant. Thus he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, a cry of distress. The lack of righteousness is the problem that drives the entire first section of Isaiah because God requires righteousness without exception. God had created Israel to be a beacon of righteousness in the world and they were failing at their task, becoming no different than all the other nations. 
But God promises a return of justice and righteousness through the line of David. God promises Emmanuel. And when we come to that second section again, and we see that the role of the nation of Israel, that the role that they were to play, they had failed at. And so one man would come and he would take up that role. That man would be the conquering king and he would be the suffering servant. And that man, that Christ, would be perfect prophet, perfect priest, and perfect king for the whole world. Christ, the suffering servant, wins righteousness for all mankind. And this section ends in chapter 55 with Isaiah expounding the free gift of salvation that is available to all. And yet here we have in chapter 56 the same command. Preserve justice and do righteousness. For my salvation is about to come and my righteousness to be revealed. The first half is a command of the law to preserve justice and righteousness, but it's the second half that has so much meaning for us. Because it's the condition or cause of the first. We could read it as preserve justice and righteousness because my salvation is about to come. By placing the call for justice and righteousness in the context of salvation, this is directed at the believer. This is directed at the offspring of the servant. And it's no longer do this or else, but instead it is God inviting his chosen people, his seeds of the servant, to put it in Isaiah's terms, to preserve justice and do righteousness because of the surpassing joy that they have because Christ has saved them. This shapes the passage that follows not into a list of laws that one must do to be righteous, but instead into a list of defining features of those who have already received the righteousness of Christ. That righteousness is required by God, and it is now supplied by Christ and obtained by the believer through faith. The defining characteristic of characteristics of believers is their faith without exception. And it is so because God requires righteousness without exception. This is the good news of the gospel. And the gospel is for all mankind without exception. Isaiah uses two examples in our text today to illustrate his point and to make his point clear. First, he uses foreigners who in the Old Testament times, foreigners were only allowed into the court of the Gentiles, which would have been the outer area of the temple. They were barred from the temple proper. They were often looked down on as Jews, as those who were not part of the promise. In fact, in Jesus' day, the temple, the court of the Gentiles is where the priests had allowed the money changers and the livestock salesmen to set up shop dispossessing the Gentiles of the place that God had reserved for them in his temple. The eunuchs are also mentioned in our text. And in Deuteronomy 23.1, we read that, that God specifically says that they are not to enter into the assembly of the Lord. These are men who 
viewed themselves as damaged goods. And we can see that from our text because they refer to themselves as a dry tree, unable of producing any kind of fruit. And yet Isaiah makes abundantly clear that these people, these outsiders, could be included and that they were very much on the inside, that these people could receive the gospel just as any others. And by picking the outsiders of temple worship and including them, he removes any limitation on who can receive the gospel. In our scripture lesson today, the scripture reading, we read about the Ethiopian eunuch, who would have been both foreign and a eunuch, clearly Ethiopian eunuch. Um, and yet, when it comes, after reading the book of Isaiah, when it comes time, he says, what's to, present, what's to prevent me from being baptized? What's to prevent me from being saved? And the answer is nothing. And Philip goes down and baptizes him in the water. The gospel is universal for all. And there are ways that I think, I think we understand that, that the gospel is for all the people around us. Um, but I think there are times where we turn that into law and we use that as something that we should be doing, that we use that as one more thing that we're not doing. And I think we get the universal application of the gospel wrong today as well in that we don't sometimes apply it to ourselves. Did any of you ever really, really mess something up growing up? Something like wreck your car because you were screwing around, maybe steal, try to steal something and get caught, say some truly hurtful things to someone in your family. Don't see a whole lot of hands. And yeah, me neither, I guess. Um, no. If we live long enough, we all have those experiences. And after them, we have this time where we feel like we're second-class citizens in our own family. Kind of ashamed to look at our parents and our siblings. We have trouble dealing with the guilt of those things. And some of that guilt is good. But some of it's not. And we do this in our Christian walks as well, don't we? Our guilt from our sin leads us to tell ourselves that we, we're like the foreigner in our text today. And that we will be separated from God's people. Or that we're like the eunuch and we're damaged goods completely beyond the ability to be fruitful in God's kingdom. The truth of our text today is that God does not desire or allow anyone to be outside the promise of God. Or anyone to be the recipients of a limited gospel. And you can see that by the language he uses and the imagery he uses at the end of our text. Look at verse five. He says, to them, I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial. Now, most of you probably have pictures up in your house. I know that I do. I have too many. The contortions that you must do in order to hold a picture straight and stay out of Lydia's view so she can check it are probably going to give me lead me back surgery one day 
But we have pictures up in our house, and they're not pictures of strangers, are they? They're pictures of the people that we love. We put up memorials in our house of the people that are dearest to us. And God says the same thing for us. He says he will put up a memorial in his house. He promises us names that are better than sons and daughters. Now, I have three daughters over there, and I love them so much. But God loves them more. And he will give them names better than being daughters. This God offers to all offspring of the servant, to all who would believe, inclusion in his household. This is better than inclusion in some stinky, hot doghouse. This is inclusion into heaven and into the very presence of God. You will belong to the Most High God and you will not be cut off. This is not something that the world has the power to sever you from. In verse 7, Isaiah says, Their offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. When we had that moment, when we messed up growing up, we had to go to our parents and ask forgiveness. Especially as little kids before we understood, there was always that, for me, there was always that tension of, did I go too far this time? Are they going to, you know, am I going to be like an orphan here? Or am I going to get kicked out of the house? But here we have God's promise. He says, your offerings and your sacrifice will be acceptable to me. Psalms 51.17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a, contra- a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. The gospel comes universally, and forgiveness is available. And this forgiveness leads us to be gathered in. God says he will bring us to his holy mountain. And this isn't a status that is to be enjoyed far off. This isn't a distant God. This is a God who invites us into his very intimate presence. And he will make us joyful in his house of prayer, which is for all people. This is the gospel, and we must be careful not to ever add exceptions to it. We must guard against our own experience of bearing grudges, and carrying guilt from creeping into what the Bible has revealed to us about the gospel. Christ's righteousness doesn't come in shades of gray or provide us any opportunity to sully it. The Bible only ever describes Christ's righteousness as blindingly white, perfect and unstainable, never gray or partially stained. This is the righteousness that is offered all people without exception that provides perfect righteousness without exception, on the basis of faith alone, without exception. And, that's inser- and that is exceptional indeed. Shall we pray? Dear Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that despite our own limitations, Lord, and our limitations on understanding that you have declared to us 
beyond a shadow of a doubt that your gospel is without exception and your righteousness that you provide to us through your gospel is without exception, Lord. And that it is a free gift that you give us the faith to receive it. Lord, we thank you for that. We ask that you would remind us of the free gift that we carry every day. In Jesus' name, amen.